Well, there goes all my fun. I don't know what I'm going to do tonight now. <laughs> Take your Bible, please. Go to the book of 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians in chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians in chapter number 10. Thank you for being here on this Monday night. Fine Monday night crowd. Appreciate you coming. We got folks in the balcony and all around. We're glad that you're a part of the service. You're allowing God to do some special things in your life. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and the meeting is history. Hard to believe we're already halfway through. Can you believe that? And uh, I trust that you'll be bringing folks, putting them out under the sound of the Word of God. Yesterday, the people that got saved in the service, both were visitors. And I trust that you'll bring some others who can have the opportunity to hear and understand the plain teaching of the Bible. A reminder that on Thursday night is Bible prophecy. We're taking a look at the future. God tells us lots of things are going to happen in the future. And if you get up and you understand that, it makes you want to move towards the future. And the sooner the better. And we're excited about those opportunities. Thank you for being here tonight. How many would say, by God's grace... I plan to be back tomorrow night. Would you raise your hand real high in the building? God bless you and appreciate you coming so very, very much. Stand out of respect for the preaching and teaching of the word of the living God. I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ that in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold towards you, but I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present in that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Let me read that again. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I want to call your attention back to verses 4 and 5. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, sensual, but mighty, all-powerful through God to the purifying or to the to the uh, pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Tonight's message is entitled, Smashing Satan's Strongholds. I hope it will be a help to you and help you take another spiritual step and win some battles in your life that you've been losing but by the grace of God, you can win if you understand the teaching of Scripture. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for the Bible. It'll never change, but thank God it can change us. We thank you for Jesus. Already this week, a couple of folks have come into the family of God, and we pray for their walk with you. We pray for the service tonight, that whatever needs to change in our lives will change by the power of the Holy Ghost of God. Don't let us come and just fill up time and space, but may we come and in this time and space be changed by the power of the gospel. And we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian life is a warfare. So says the scripture. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 26, So fight I, not as uncertainly, so I run, not as one that beats the air. 
In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8, that thou might, verse 18, that thou mightest war a good warfare. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. 2 Timothy 2, 3, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to the end of the chapter is given over to the warfare and weaponry of every soldier. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Let me say it again. The Christian life is a warfare. One of the wor world's worst mistakes you'll ever make is to think you get saved and get in a comfort zone. It's not a comfort zone, friend. It's a combat zone 24-7. You have an enemy. His name is the devil. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he might devour. The Bible also says that he uses two sources. One, he will use a material source called your flesh. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world. Also, he'll use this world. 1 John 2, 15, Love not the world, neither the things are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Are you aware tonight that God uses you to defeat Satan, but not in your strength? I want to say that again. He uses you to defeat Satan, but not in your strength. You and I have no power on our own without the power of the Holy Spirit to defeat Satan. 1 Corinthians 3.16, know you not that you are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6.19, what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God. Marine's greatest weapon is his mind. A Marine's mind that's sharply trained can take on about anything that comes his direction, so can the Christian. The Apostle Paul here is telling us about how to, to fight Satan and win. First of all, he wants us to see the strongholds and how they're developed. The word stronghold carries the idea of to fortify, to reach out. It is a carnal castle or a fleshly fortress that God allows you to put in your mind by two major things. One has to do with erroneous ideas. If you look at verse number four, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, or selfish, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down, smashing, destroying all the strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing. The word imagination carries the idea of false reasonings. If Satan can get you to think wrong, he can get you to do wrong. I say certain things more than once because I want to make sure you get them. If Satan can get you to think wrong, he can get you to do wrong. But if he can't get you to think wrong and you're always thinking the thoughts that God is putting in your mind, then you'll never have to worry about getting those things in your mind that would turn your heart from the things of God. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The Bible says in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 24 and verse 9, The thought of foolishness is sin. 
Isaiah 26, 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, for he trusteth in him. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue in any praise, think on these things. You see, Satan wants you to start thinking wrong with salvation. How does a person get saved? Well, you, you say, I think if you'll do better in life, you'll go to heaven. No, you'll just go to hell better than you had gone if you'd stayed with the same dirty sins that you lived in. Because good works never saved anybody. They never saved Jesus, and they won't save you. When you come to Christ, you don't come to Him by your good works. You come to Him through His good work. You see, when He died on the cross, He was not dying for His sin, but for our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You say, well, preacher, I think it's the church you go to. Well, through the centuries, churches have changed. They've changed the different uh, societies and backgrounds. And the type of church you go to does not take you to heaven. It's going to the church that teaches the right doctrine that takes you to heaven. Lots of people think they're going to heaven because of church or because of a Christian work, but it is not by our works, but by His Son that He gives us eternal life. Other people think that the love they have for Jesus makes a difference. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, But God commends His love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified, here's a key phrase, we're saved from wrath, watch the phrase, through Him. Anytime you ever put yourself in that place where He is supposed to be, you have stolen the position of the only eternal God that can give you eternal life. It's not you and Him working together. It's you working for Him because He has changed your life. I'm always amazed at people who are thinking that somehow the marital relationship will make a difference in their life. Well, I guarantee you it made a difference in my life. Somebody said, Preacher, did you mess up? Yeah, I waited too late. I was 21. I, sh well, I should have been about 12 when I got married. Some of you understand what I'm saying. But thank God for the fact that my dear wife helped me to take better steps than I would have taken by myself. Genesis 1:27. so God created man in his image, and the image of God created him. Male and female created he them. Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became the living soul. Somebody said, well, preacher, I, I think that part of the problem is when we get bitter, we just can't live for Jesus. You're exactly right. And if you're sitting here tonight bitter at anybody for any reason, you're not living for Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, did you say that? I said that. And in case you missed it, I'll say a second time. If you're bitter at anybody for any reason, then you can't live for Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 the Bible says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root or bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. 
You say, well, preacher, how do I get rid of bitterness? The same way you got it, you chose to get it. You can choose to get rid of it, but you have to admit that it is there to begin with. There are also people who, for some reason, think that they can worry, and that will actually put them in worse situation than it would have been if they had not worried. Jesus said in Philippians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. You study, you'll find that fear comes because you allow it to come. God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. If you're here tonight and you have fears in your life, they didn't come from God. The only kind of fear that God would give you is the fear of Himself so that you respect Him and you honor Him, but not the fear of other people. God wants us to walk in the Spirit. I'm amazed at how many people are involved in pornography and somehow they justify it. Well, you know, I have not yet ever been physically immoral, but what I do in my mind is my business. Who told you that? That didn't come out of the Bible. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, God says, Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in his heart already. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we have too many things that we defend, and instead of casting them down and throwing them down, we defend them when they are the ones that are taking us backward instead of forward. But he also goes on and says, in every high thing, the word carries the idea of every egotistical, self-centered thing. It has to do with egotistical independence. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 that we were not to have those egotistical, self-centered thoughts. He told us in John chapter 15 and verse 5, without me you can do, what's the next word? I think I'm getting through to some of you tonight because now when I stop, you're about ready to say what I did not say. There are too many people that somehow take the error of false doctrine and the egotistical independence of self-righteousness. Mix those two together and think that they are overcoming wickedness. No, what you're doing is you're just making yourself more distant from God rather than close to God. The question tonight is, are either of these in your life? How strongholds are developed. Second, how strongholds are detected. I think there's two ways that you can detect if you have a stronghold. Number one, it'll be that which you do, listen carefully, habitually. Now, it's one thing if you do this once a week, once a month. Do you have a stronghold? Sure. Is it there all the time? No. And you know why it's not there. Because you've taken some stands against it verbally and visibly. But is that what you do habitually? Second, is that what you view hopelessly? Well, I've always just be like this. I've, I have this burn my saddle. There's this thing that just seems to constantly bother me. And so I don't think it's really my fault. It's just what comes in. The truth of the matter is you don't have to view anything habitually because you don't have to sin. 
Let me say again, you don't have to sin. And if you're sinning and justifying it, you're in two sins. And then if you're hopelessly looking at it, now you've got yourself in three sins. And nobody has to be in that. God makes a way to get out. Which leads me to the last point, and that's how strongholds are destroyed. If you look at this passage of Scripture, he says that there are two, verse number four, pull down strongholds. Then in verse five, it says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself and bringing in to captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Pull down, cast down, throw down. It simply says, you don't have to be conquered, you can conquer. You don't have to be beat up, you can win every fight. The question is whether or not you're doing it. There are a lot of people and they say, well, I just, I, I, I know some people and they just seem to walk with God so close that they're bound not to have any sin in their life. Well, I have news for you. Every person that you've ever met in your life has sin in their life. And you might as well get that in your mind. Because what happens is we get to a place and we seem to be doing well and then all of a sudden we just kind of walk away from it and get involved in what we call good. But it's not good in the Bible. If it's going to be good in the Bible, then we must be able to justify it. Romans 8, 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. So how do you do it? Well, number one, you must admit the stronghold. Number one, you must admit the stronghold. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesses, agrees with God, and doesn't argue with him shall have mercy. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sin, if we agree with God that it's sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all un unrighteousness. I wonder when's the last time, now stop and think about this, how long has it been since you had one good old-fashioned confession? A day? A week? A month? I have news for you. You will rarely go all day without sinning. Now, I've never met anybody in my life that went all week without sinning. And if you think you've not sinned in the last month, I have news for you. You have. And if you're going to walk with God, then you're going to have to admit what sin is. Dear God, I'm covetous. I want what is not mine. I'm very selfish. I'm interested in things that make me feel better. I'm interested in doing that which makes me look better. Number one, admit the stronghold. Number two, arm against the stronghold. Arm against the stronghold. How do you do that? Well, he says the weapons of our warfare. In other words, we don't just have a weapon. We have mighty weapons, all-powerful weapons, weapons that cannot be defeated when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Let me show you some of those weapons tonight. Take your Bible, please. Go to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and turn with me to the chapter number 6. Ephesians, 
and chapter number 6. And I want you to see the first one, which is so obvious. I'll start my reading in verse 15 of chapter 6. The Bible says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now watch verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation, that instrument that you put on your head of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why would God want you to take the helmet of salvation? Because all of your sins begin in your mind. And if you guard your mind and you don't allow wickedness to come into the portals the way so many un unsaved people do and people who name the name of Jesus do, then you won't have these things that take part and overcome you. There's two words for the word, Word of God in the Bible. One is the word Logos. That refers to the entire canon of Scripture, all of it. There's another word, it's the word Rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Rhema is not the entire world word, it's a word from the word. It's a word from the word. When I first gave my life to the Lord after I got saved, some years later I'd been running from God and God hemmed me up and He said, Now, you don't want to keep doing this because if you do, I'm going to end your life. And I tell you, as I told you on Sunday morning, if God ever threatens you with ending your life, you will either obey Him or you'll be gone. I can just tell you that. And the last thing you want Him to do is pick a fight with you because He will always win. So I said, okay, I know some areas of my life that have got to change. One of the things that needed to change was my tongue. Now, lady, don't look at your husband. Just look right up here at me. How many of you have a husband that you know they need to have their tongue changed? Don't raise your hand. But many of you have one. And some of you have a wife that's just like that. And if you want to see their tongue changed, then they need to start memorizing verses. Psalm 17, 2 and 3, Psalm 19, 14, Psalm 141, 3, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. All of these are verses I memorized. And by the way, went over once a day for years. I also had trouble with my thoughts. I don't know what kind of lifestyle you had before you got saved, but I can tell you what kind of lifestyle I had after I got saved. And I'll tell you, God won't forgive it until you confess it. And if you won't confess it, it's still not forgiven. You say, preacher, you're being mean. No, what I'm doing is I'm trying to be kind. Matthew 5, 28 says, If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart already with her. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness faith, charity, peace, with all them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart fervently. So what he's saying is this. You get some verses. Most of you remember that the first time Jesus was tempted is in Matthew chapter 4 and how he three times gave Satan the phrase, it is written. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16 and Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13 deal with the temple and deal with worship. And God Almighty in a human body realized that without the power of the Holy Spirit going through him, he was a cooked goose and would never take the stand that he had to have. Right about this point, if some of you are not getting the idea, you really need Jesus, I can't help you. And I'm not trying to be unkind, I'm just trying to be honest. Because nobody moves forward without the word of the living God. Number two, look in verse 18. For the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching there too with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Number one is the Word of God. Number two is prayer. The word pray means to ask. Actually, it means to beg. And the reason we need to learn how to beg is because if we don't, we're going to end up spending most of our days in sin instead of in Him. If we don't, we're going to spend most of our days in sin, not in Him. So if you don't want Jesus to take charge of your life, then you just go it on your own and end up staying in sin every day of your life until one day you kneel in outer space on nothing and look at the scars and the hands and the feet of Jesus and look up at His face. And He says, I did all this for you. Now let's find out what you did or did not do for me. Every morning when I get up, one of the first things I do is pray. And one of the first prayers that I pray is, Lord, I need you today. In a real bad way, I need you today. Then take your Bible, please, and go to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. This is the third and final of the things that we're looking at. We've looked at the Word of God. We've looked at prayer. I want you to look at one that not too many people think of because they, not, they don't use it too much, but it's called praise. Psalm 22 and verse 3, that thou mightest, habit, thou mightest inhabit the courts of praise. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I start my reading in verse 1, and it came to pass also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon that were with the other besides Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help. Don't miss that phrase. Of the Lord, even out of the cities of Judah, and they came to seek the Lord. In verse 17, ye shall not need fight this battle, set yourself, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah, the word means praise, and Jerusalem, the word means peace. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and fell before the Lord." Latter phrase of verse 19, they stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice. Latter phrase of verse 20, believe in the Lord your God, so shall be established. Believe in the prophets, and so you shall prosper. And then finally, verse 22, and when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, and were come against Judah, and they were smitten. 
Where did the power come from to defeat the enemies? It did not come out of Jehoshaphat. It came in through, by, and for him by the power of the Spirit of God in his life as it did for everybody else that prayed and believed God could take it out of them. You say, well, preacher, is that the only place it's taught? No, if you look in Joshua chapter 6 when you get home, you'll find that when they were preparing to go to fight with the Jerichoites, Joshua and the people began to pray. And when they began to pray, God set ambushments against the Jerichoites. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 16, you have the story of Paul, and you have the people as they are praying and seeking God. And when they began to pray and seek the Lord, the Lord stepped out of heaven, as it were, and cleaned the clocks of everybody that was intimidating or coming against Paul and his crowd. You say, preacher, I'm assuming you could go on. Yeah, but my time's gone. So let me summarize it by putting it all into perspective. You admit the stronghold. You arm against the stronghold. Word of God, prayer, and praise. And then finally, you attack the stronghold. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter number 12. And I want you to look down at verse number 11. And I want you to see what is being used even in the end times. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and it's still overcoming. And without the blood of the Lamb, nobody ever gets saved. And the Bible goes on and says, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives to the death. What's the word of their testimony? It's simply, as I believe, saved by grace. And people who do not have the blood of Jesus Christ atoning for them, and the people who do not have the word of their testimony saved by grace, do not have the power of the Holy Spirit to go work through them, by them, and for them. So let's back up and ask some questions tonight. Do you have a stronghold in your life? Maybe I ought to ask it this way. Do you have more than one stronghold in your life? You know what's interesting? Almost every time I preach this message, it gets really quiet in the house. And that's because some of you, even with a lot of age on you, have still got stronghold that need to be smashed. And you're never going to get them smashed by saying, well, it's really not that important. If it wasn't that important, why did God put so much about it in the Scripture? So here we are on Monday night and we have another opportunity to obey God. Every time we come to the, evening, to the end of the evening service and there's an invitation given, there's an opportunity for you to take one more positive spiritual step away from sin and towards the things of God. The question is, will you? Years ago when I was in high school, the King Cotton Hotel was condemned. It was a poor house, for lack of a better term. 
The mayor of the city and the city council condemned it. They told the time, place, and date that it was going to be destroyed. And they made the announcement and counted it down and made the announcement within five minutes of when they're going to blow it up. Now, I was in high school, but I didn't go to high school that day. I went down to watch the blowing up of the hotel. So you go ahead and smile if you want to, but you would have probably done the same thing. Three, two, one. Wham! And it came rolling to the ground. And I thought to myself, I wonder if there was anybody so stupid that he stayed in that building and threw their life away trying to prove that they were right and the city government was wrong. I declare to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is right. And he's been right every time he's preached from this pulpit in one man or another. And tonight he's right again. Will you obey him? Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes.